Well, this gospel isn't the softest introduction back into being together, but the truth of the gospel never is. I don't think that I ever understood that as a young person, how much the truth of the gospel demands of us and how much what it demands is the price of our souls. <clears throat> I thought I would start off today by reading from Archbishop Tutu's book on forgiveness. But that really is a book and a story that needs to be taken in total. Maybe I'll borrow from him at the end. His story and the story of South Africa, relative to forgiveness, relative to reconciliation, is one that we have to tell and learn from and remember. But we have immediate and urgent matters that need our attention and our deepest honesty. Recently on social media, I saw a group of progressive church people arguing angrily about what needed to be done in the face of all of the evil in this world, saying that love is not the way that the Jesus turning over tables is where things have come to. And it isn't the turning over of tables that seemed concerning to me. It was the tenor of their comments and their conversation that have turned hateful and it seemed to me to be turning into the thing against which they proclaim to work. In the gospel today, Jesus answers that we must forgive someone who offends us, not seven times, which by the way, is quite a lot of times by itself, but 77 times. And actually, Father James Martin said the Greek actually means 70 times seven. So there is no limit to the forgiveness that we have to offer, that we are required to offer. And if we do not offer that forgiveness ourselves, it will not be extended to us. Mm. The Lord's Prayer says as much too, forgive us our trespass as we forgive those who trespass against us. Depending on what the offense is, this is more nuanced and difficult than it even might seem. In the gospel, the offense is about being late on a debt. And again, watching Father Martin's explanation of this, he explained that in the Greek, it's much more significant to difference than what we read in the Bible today. So it's not just a lot and a little, it's more like a billion dollars versus a hundred dollars. So essentially the master forgives a debt so large that it's almost impossible to conceive of it. And then the servant refuses to forgive a much, much smaller debt. Borrowing a billion dollars is a little difficult to comprehend, maybe impossible, but imagine those things that are even bigger. When Walt called us this weekend to explain the unfortunate concerns about the composer of the music that we had sung, that's an example of that. Those kinds of offenses exceed anything that might be monetary. It's hard to imagine how someone can forgive such a thing. But that's where also it's important to differentiate between forgiveness and reconciliation. And this is where Tutu has deep experience. Reconciliation requires concession by the offender and a true apology and working to make amends. And then the acceptance of that forgiveness. But what if you don't have that? What if that isn't offered? Forgiveness is still possible. Forgiveness does not mean permitting something to happen again, by the way. And Father Martin said, you might forgive the person that steals from you, but you're not going to hire him again either. So if there's anything worth doing as a young person and beyond, 
I think it's also starting to come to terms with the acceptance and the concept of boundaries. In this case, though, forgiveness is a choice and it's an action. It's not the feeling that matters so much as the choice and the action. It occurred to me that we have a beautiful example that came to us this summer in the life and the work and the words of the late John Lewis. I went back to the interview that John Lewis did with Krista Tippett in her podcast on being, as well as the editorial that he gave to the world uh, to be published just after he died. And he discusses his work of nonviolence and the march that he led across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma on March 7th, 1965. That march that would become so brutal and gruesome that it would be called Bloody Sunday. John Lewis led that march and he was among the first to be beaten unconscious as he marched. What is most remarkable though is his response. And I commend the On Being episode to you as well as reading as much as you possibly can by him and about him. John Lewis explains how he and the others approached their work of nonviolence in an explanation that sounds a lot like the root of the love of Jesus for whom he had a deep and abiding faith and love and the basis for forgiveness. These are his words. We from time to time would discuss if you see someone attacking you, beating you, spitting on you, you have to think of that person. You know, years ago, that person was an innocent child an innocent little baby. And so what happened? Did something go wrong? Did the environment, did someone teach that person to hate or to abuse others? So you try to appeal to the goodness of every human being and you don't give up. You never give up on anyone. It was love at its best. It's one of the highest forms of love that you beat me, you arrest me, you take me to jail, you almost kill me. But in spite of that, I'm going to still love you. The conversation on social media that I saw did not sound like love, though it might have been sparked with righteous anger. It seems to me if anyone has the right to righteous anger, it's John Lewis and all of the people that he marched with, but that's not how he responded then, and it's not how he responded in the decades since, up to and including the last words that he left us before he died. It seems to me that John Lewis shows the way to the gospel lesson today that in spite of a debt much bigger than any financial burden, the debt of abuse and death and killing, the kind of abuse that affects the soul and the body, his refusal to bear any bitterness not only saved his own soul, but saves ours as well. But Lewis and the others didn't accept the poor treatment. They didn't invite it again, but through the way that their opposition worked in love. They loved and loved hard and loved to the point of death. Sounds a lot like a story that we read about in the Gospels. Lewis quotes an African proverb in two of his books. When you pray, you've got to move your feet. And one of the things that he wrote in his New York Times op-ed was the idea that democracy is an action and not a state. And that reminded me about something that I heard once upon a time about marriage or relationship, that love is not about the feeling, it's an action, it's a decision. 
Anything that matters is a decision and an action. We aren't just meant to sit back and receive things as much as our culture seems to suggest that we should. If we order it up on Amazon, it'll come to us in a box. When you pray, you have to move your feet. So forgiveness is not the warm and fuzzy feeling. It's an action, it's a decision, and it's a gift to the person doing the forgiveness and to the person being forgiven. I think John Lewis's gift extends to each and every single one of us. I know I get the, literally get the chills reading his words. It's not an excuse. It does not open the door to repeat offense, but it is an inclination of the heart. And it is as John Lewis taught us, love in action. The last piece I wanted to share was a comment that was made when James Martin does his, he does a Facebook live and people make comments. And so you can read all the comments and he usually talks to all the comments. It's actually pretty wonderful. And I think he does this every day, I think. So Friday he spoke to this gospel. And it was actually a comment that somebody else made, not him. But it was that the desire to desire to forgive is enough. When forgiveness feels too hard to want to want to forgive is enough. That God takes care of that when it's too hard for us. But still, the action of forgiveness, the action of love takes effort and desire and movement in that direction. And the forgiveness Jesus offers requires us too to be that love in action. Amen.